0: hide your kids lock the doors you're listening to hr's most dangerous podcast chad Sowash and joel cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts complete with breaking news rash opinion and loads of snark buckle up boys and girls it's time for the chad and cheese podcast
1: oh yeah what's up everybody it's your favorite guilty pleasure also known as the Chad and Cheese Podcast. This is our cult brand series. My name is Joel Cheeseman. And as always, I'm joined the Mo and Larry to my curly, Julie Callie, president <laughs> at RecruitmentMarketing.com. And we welcome <laughs> VP of Marketing at Factory Fix, Patrick Hodgden. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey,
0: hey, hey. I don't even get an introduction anymore. What's going on here?
1: Oh, God damn it.
0: Just go with it.
1: Like I said, you're not supposed to take NyQuil in the, in the <laughs> daytime. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. No more. You did
0: read the fine print on the NyQuil, right? You're not supposed to like you know, heavy equipment, operating heavy equipment or podcast. That At You read that, right?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm a little under the weather to say the least. I don't know if you can tell. I'm I'm on enough uh, Tylenol to to mask it. But Chad and I were talking <laughs> beforehand and said, "Hey, should should I just do this?" Or "Do you need to go back to bed?" And I said, "You know what the the guys at the guys and gals at Factory Fix are such big fans of the Chad and Cheese podcast. Like, there's no way they're going to stand for just one of us coming on the show. So, Patrick, you get both of us, or maybe one and a half because I'm on.
0: It's even better because you got Julie here." Yeah, this will this will yeah. be
1: fun. Let's roll with this, kids.
2: I'm I'm feeling lucky. I'm feeling lucky. I'm feeling lucky.
3: Patrick uh, is joining us today, VP of Marketing at Factory Fix, Ooh. helping manufacturers hire the best talent.
0: Which is not an easy task today. But before we get into any of that kind of fun stuff, Patrick, I, I want to hear about the road trip. You've got a road trip coming up. Tell, tell us a little bit about road trip. I who's going? Trip. What was what was behind this? Just getting the hell out of the house. Talk talk to us, man.
2: Yep, so uh my wife and I are blessed to have uh five kids, ages 12 what? down to 5.
1: Five Whoa.
3: kids.
1: You know how it works, right, Patrick?
2: I do I do know how it works okay. and we're
1: highly proficient at it.
3: I think he deserves <laughs> the applause there. <laughs>
2: Like his wife deserves the applause there.
3: Yeah, that's a lot to put
2: up with five kids. In my Twitter bio, you will find that I'm a proud card-carrying member of the Married Way Way Up Club. So yes, all <laughs> uh, do all credit to my wife. But uh, yes, we are going to throw the family in the minivan and we are going to drive out west uh, from Minnesota, where we're based, to south dakota for a couple days and then down to colorado springs uh for the balance of uh next week and the plan originally was to come home after that uh but uh my wife and i were watching the last couple episodes of this is us and she said, you know what? We really need to go see my family in Florida. They're up in Pensacola in the panhandle. And I said, okay, well, we're not doing two road trips. We're doing one big one. And so we are going from Minnesota out to Colorado, then down to Florida and back. So 16 states in 17 days. Patrick, you
1: got this backwards, bro. You're supposed to go to Florida <laughs> in the winter and go to Minnesota <laughs> in the summer. You you reversed it, dude. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: i've got a more important question Do, does she make you watch this is us
2: uh no it's been it's been our show for a while i've enjoyed it so it was okay it was, it was good
0: so sad it's over yeah well every commercial i see it's like they're trying to make you cry just on the commercial i'm like
3: nah, i'm not into that i don't need that yep i thought i wouldn't cry i cry every time i watched it <laughs> <laughs> i was like i can handle this it's just a show no no no, no tears in the box no, of not so
2: much. okay it, so it's it's really good storytelling it's really good storytelling patrick is a softy and today we are going to
0: be talking about storytelling and, and that being said before we get into storytelling really quick
2: give us a, a quick glimpse into factory fix and what do you do there yeah, so we are a manufacturing talent platform, and uh, we combine the power of our talent network, which now has over 411,327 skilled pros with a profile, Ooh. Uh, most of which probably don't have a LinkedIn profile or any other profile online, Good point. Uh, so hard, hard to find those workers, and uh, we match that up with a manufacturing specific recruiting platform uh, that uses both uh, automation and screening capabilities, as well as our talent text, uh, text messaging service uh, to get Get engaged with those ca- candidates right when they are interested in your job, so you get that interview scheduled in hours instead of days. So, so tell
0: us. We're, we're going to talk about storytelling today. Tell us what's your definition of storytelling. What's that actually mean to you?
2: Yeah. So for, for me, it's using the power of a narrative to communicate a message. And so, from a marketing standpoint, um, I come from—I I guess you could call it the, the the Donald Miller School of Story Brand. Um, but that was really my first foray into it uh, six years ago to kind of learn strategic narrative and storytelling in the marketing space. And the, the main thrust of it is that you want to make your customer the hero of the story. It's not your product. And so a uh, good Star Wars analogy is most technology companies want to tell you about the lightsaber they created, how many features it has, why it's the best weapon, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And in reality, you want to position the story as your customer is Luke Skywalker. You want to position your company as the guide, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi say, and you're handing them a piece of technology that allows them to go accomplish their mission and achieve success.
1: And your Schwartz is as big as mine. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I couldn't resist.
3: (laughs) I I, I had it on mute there for a second because I was laughing so hard. (laughs)
1: We can record the laughs. Those are always good.
2: Way to bring space balls into the storytelling. That's
1: what we do here on the chat. Yeah, which podcast.
2: streaming service is that on, Joel?
3: <laughs> well, I love that you, you talked about storytelling, brand storytelling. How does that, what kind of stories are, uh, are companies telling to make manufacturing work appealing to that audience?
2: Yeah, I think that is the biggest opportunity in the space, um, and which was one of the one of the reasons I was so excited to to jump on the factory fixed rocket ship a couple of months ago. So many companies in that space really that is going to be a differentiator for them moving forward to kind of uh, embrace the suck, as they say, in some of those jobs, but also um, you know really showcase how each of these manufacturing worker positions from everywhere from lower level production through maintenance tech up to You know, salaried engineers, they are building the future of our country by building the future of everything that we're going to be consuming. And so you have a very unique opportunity to really lean into that uh, employee value proposition opportunity through the power of storytelling to the next generation of manufacturing
1: workers.
3: Wow. Even that statement just made me want to stand up and wave a flag,
1: run through a brick wall. So Chad and I were talking to a trucking organization recently and we were uh, waxing poetic about the 70s when both of us were, were children and <laughs> smoking in the bandits yeah trucking used to be a badass profession you had a it CB did. you had yeah. a monkey in the passenger seat Got <laughs> The had, country. Yeah, I mean you had uh, you know Camaros and TransAms on the road is does manufacturing lack those kinds of stories those kinds of icons and, and how do we get that back or can we? Yeah,
2: I, I think so. I think you know the the quintessential example is is Mike Rose' dirty jobs, obviously. But yes, I I think peeling back the onion and showing you know what those jobs entailed, the people behind them, and then where you know where those products or those parts of future products go, you know how they're used in everyday life, and and you know as technology continues to to evolve and um, get cooler and cooler, those, the, the, the things that we're making, you know, get even more important. And, and some of those stories um, become even more compelling as well.
0: Well, even more technical skill wise, right? So, I mean, you're talking to an entirely different audience than what we used to talk uh, to when we were talking about manufacturing from, from just from that standpoint.
2: Exactly. Yep. Yep, and and the skills are evolving and changing as 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 the world does, obviously, and as technology does. And mm-hmm. um, you know, some of those some of those jobs that 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 weren't attractive are are being automated, but that's opening up new opportunities to uh you know plan out that automation and um figure out better ways to produce those items you know with more efficiencies and and uh more production um and also you know bringing more of those to the us as we as we face uh you know the current supply chain problems that we're facing and and some of the other you know world issues that are are out there lingering as well
1: Mm -hmm. and you know what else is cool not having college debt.
2: Also a cool thing. Yeah. (laughs) Would you like to make 80,000 in in three years or would you like to be, you know, 80,000 in debt in four years? Exactly.
1: How powerful is that story in manufacturing of not carrying that student loan debt? How are those stories being told by the employer side or by communities and governments?
2: Yeah, I I think that's, uh, again, one of the biggest opportunities for, for all of those organizations organizations to be doing. Um, It's a big reason we're working closely with the National Association of Manufacturers uh, and their creators wanted Bus Tour to get out and meet with a lot of high school students and showcase um, with some of their brand partners like Dow Industries, um, you know, what what these jobs entail and what these career paths look like to go straight into the trades and not go into that college debt scenario.
3: I think that's wonderful. There's so many people out there that, uh, you know, especially people that are transitioning into the workforce that have no idea what the different opportunities are out there for them. So I love that idea of helping people understand the options that lay in front of them.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. So let's let's talk a little bit about experience and and step back and let's talk about how you actually got into storytelling. And let's talk about some of those stories you were able to tell. And how how did those unfold?
2: Really got into it uh, back in 2016. I was I was in the HR tech space uh, for a hot minute with a small software company down in Orlando, Florida called Riptide Software. And uh, they were big in the military training space think you know the the video game that the Marines practice playing warfare on like a five year 50 million dollar project and they wanted to take the training analytics that they had built uh, into the enterprise space and uh, had not really ever done traditional sales and marketing uh, having been in the military space and so I had stumbled upon uh, Donald Miller's story brand and took the online workshop uh, to kind of get trained into that. System, and then I started following a lot of uh, people that were working on storytelling and strategic narrative uh, in the B two B tech space. Um, Andy Raskin being one, and then uh, ultimately the, uh, the the team of David Cancel and Dave Gerhart over at Drift uh, up in Boston being being another one, and um, really understood the power of you know the strategic narrative being an unlock in the marketing space to attract customers to your product. Um, by making them the hero of the story and, and how you were enabling and equipping them to achieve the success that they needed. So from uh, my time at Riptide, uh, I actually started the, the Chief Learning Officer podcast at that time, uh, way back in 2016. Um, met my friend James Carberry, who uh, runs Sweetfish Media, and they do podcast production and content uh, for B2B brands. And so he helped me put that podcast together and was able to uh, immediately connect with a lot of Fortune 500 brands like Sears and General Mills and Home Depot um, and have their learning leaders, their chief learning officers or their uh, directors of learning on the podcast to tell their stories uh, from the learning space and connect with potential customers um, for Riptide at that time. And so I've taken those lessons. Um, and then uh, soon after I left, uh, Riptide started consulting and kind of turned turned it into a half day workshop that I called Story Sprints. And so working with founders in the startup space uh, to really kind of unlock the potential of strategic narrative and, and, and messaging um, for their brands. And so from there, ended up uh, bouncing around in the tech space for a few years and then moved back to, uh, to Minnesota and um, just a couple months ago uh, was introduced into the opportunity at Factory Fix and so very excited to get back into the HR tech space. I think there's just, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's uh, so much opportunity uh, in the space to, uh, to do more with storytelling and to help these employer brands um, really tell their stories to engage their workers it's like in the pre
0: the prehistoric age right i mean that's hr tech i mean we we're so far behind everybody else
2: yep yeah, and I, I I recently came from the furniture space, which uh, on the retail side is is not is is in a very similar position.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine you mentioned you mentioned podcasting, which many would think is sort of a progressive way uh, to market. What uh, are there success stories or interesting case studies of companies that you guys work with that are branding themselves, whether it be social media or, or via mobile? Like, what are companies doing? Uh, what mediums are they using and platforms? to brand themselves and and tell their employment stories
2: yeah i think i think video and audio are are two of the the more important opportunities that content obviously can be reshared and redistributed via social channels i was actually just talking with friend of the show elena valentine a couple of weeks ago after unleash oh yeah Um, and what they're doing at skill scout i think is is um you know very intriguing from a employer brand standpoint and telling those stories um, and unlocking them through through that video. I think storytelling is a uh, as a as a medium or as a channel just comes to life more when you get tone and and um, especially with video where you can see people's passion really come out as they're talking about um, the opportunity they have in their jobs or, or with their company.
1: And there are typically two schools of thought there. One is sort of the, uh, the stuff that Elena's making where it's really nicely professionally manicured HD uh, you know really good video quality and then there's the hey turn your phone on and and uh, you know TikTok do a dance on TikTok yep. right so like where do you think uh, manufacturing companies are are falling on are they doing the more off-the-cuff TikTok stuff or are they more like digging into real professional content
2: Uh, It probably leans more professional. I think you know, in the manufacturing space, um, we've got some uh, we've got some influencers um, that are you know more savvy with the social media, but they're few and far between. And and the ones that are doing it are standing out very quickly and very fast because they're the only ones uh, using those mediums. And um, you know, I think the the biggest thing is not enough manufacturing companies you know are convinced that this will work, and so. So, you know, they don't have the budget. They don't have somebody that actually owns it. And they're just trying to do, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're more trying to check a box than, you know, create a media company or, you know, have more aspirational goals in terms of we're going to create really engaging content. Not what my friend James uh, Carberry likes to call commodity content, right? That nice. if, that every brand can can crank out and, and check a box on.
0: Yep. And it looks like ev- what everybody else does, it's boring and inauthentic.
2: Yeah, you you swap the logos out and it's the same video, right? Yep. Yep.
3: Well, I think recently hearing someone say like there there's always an audience for something. Uh, And it's a matter of like, you get your story out there. And if it really speaks to the type of people that you're looking for, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if the whole world likes your beautifully produced (laughs) video, does the audience that you're trying to reach like it and care about it. And I think like video is so empowering with that now. I cannot believe some of the things my son watches on YouTube. Like I'll see, I'm like, what are you watching? Like this repetitive motion of something. And there's this word now, it's satisfying. Uh, like, oh, it's so satisfying to just watch this thing happen or this machine run or the this paint mix. And I, I feel like there's great opportunity in that. Is it do you see that uh, any of the brands that you're working with are trying to tell stories out of what they're creating um, and trying to reach those audience that find the, just the satisfaction in what's being made? Or is it always a brand story um, and its impact on the world?
2: No, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Like showing what is being created and and how it's made, which you know we had as a uh, or I had as a TV show growing up in the late '90s, early aughts. You know, I think there is a huge opportunity to to showcase. More of, you know, what is actually being produced and where it fits in, um, whether it's, you know, a completed a completed product or, or a piece of a bigger product. You know, I think there's there's a huge opportunity there. And for sure, you know, my kids are the same. They, you know, they, they don't want to be professional athletes. They want to be YouTube stars <laughs> and they, they want to be too. entertained and satisfied. uh watching those different YouTube videos or the, you know, the TikToks. I think there's a lot of of content on TikTok that is that same type of type of content. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on.
3: right? Our future is the next generation who finds great satisfaction in video. And I think that a lot of people are very still stuck on, well, it has to be this highly produced story, but those stories, those simple ones are the ones that the generation coming next enjoys the most. Simple satisfaction out of what's being made.
1: The Big Short is one of my uh, favorite movies. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, It's brilliant if you haven't. Anyway, uh, Christian Bale plays a character named Michael Burry. uh, And Michael Burry is a real person who said recently, and I quote, the U.S. labor market is about to be sliced in half with blue collar workers remaining a sought after commodity while white collar workers uh, see job losses and falling wages. Would you disagree with that or agree? And if you agree, how is that going to change the landscape for branding in manufacturing?
2: Yeah, I think the 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 biggest challenge is where those where that next generation of of manufacturing workers is going to come from we're four people all talking on a podcast today we're not we're not going to be signing up to go to go work in a factory tomorrow and you know part of that comes from how we were raised and A lot of us had parents or grandparents that were blue-collar workers that worked really hard so that their kids or grandkids could be white-collar workers. And I think you have, we've been missing a generation, so to speak, of that pipeline growing. And so that's going to be the big unlocked is what we were talking about earlier, the juxtaposition and the storytelling of the college path or the trade path and understanding that this can be a great career for you and truly unlock the American dream. And so we're trying to kind of
1: reignite that. Do you see more companies like thinking about how do we get white collar workers into the trades? Like, are there is there messaging around, you know, hey, sitting on a keyboard all day might not be that exciting to everybody. Here's an option uh, outside of that. Are companies thinking about that and and doing that?
2: I I don't think the companies are yet. I do think that there are a lot of people that especially over the last couple of years have reevaluated where they're spending a majority of their time. And I think a lot of people realized how much how much they love working with their hands and not just sitting and staring at a screen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you have some of them dabbling with maybe it's a side hustle, building furniture, something you know uh, in that vein. Um, but there could you know potentially be those that want to you know make that more of a full time thing. But I don't think. You know, at least I haven't seen in my short time jumping back into the uh, into the manufacturing space. um,
1: Haven't seen that yet. Potential opportunity down the road.
2: Being
0: having a military background, whenever I see companies say that they are, quote unquote, veteran friendly or they want to hire veterans or whatever smoke they're throwing at us. Right. Uh, You can see through the the actual marketing they're using actors and clip art. I mean, you, you can you can see and feel that it's not authentic, right? I would assume that you can probably say the exact same thing about the trades. You put a a, a, a pipe in somebody's hand and <laughs> not usual uh, in somebody's hand <laughs> and a wrench, right? And it's like anybody yep. <laughs> can be a plumber. Well, that that's that's just not the case. So when it comes to those types of situations. How are you, are you working with uh, your, your, your clients at all and helping them and try to navigate past just the stupid, silly shit that is inauthentic versus what's real and something that'll actually help them?
2: Yeah, that's, that's something that we're starting to have more conversations with our clients on. And I think as an opportunity as we continue to grow and, uh, and build out our market is to really actually lean in and help them with their employer brand and with their storytelling, um, whether that's just at the job description level, which is what we engage with them on now, uh, to potentially, you know, here's the type of content you need. Here's the, you know, don't use stock photography, as you just pointed out, which is pretty easy to spot or, you know, even down to your careers page and the, the employer brand content that, that you're creating.
0: Talk about the job description real quick. How do you, how can you impact the job description with good storytelling?
2: Yeah, I think a big opportunity there is cutting back on all of the computer-generated uh, standard requirements, and you know, a lot of that comes down to the company level and and how much uh, how much autonomy the hiring managers have to to edit and change those. But a, a lot of these job descriptions still say, "Hey, you need a college degree," and it's like, "Well, do you really need a college degree <laughs> to to come be an entr- entry-level yeah. production worker and get trained right. on?" You know, being a machine operator. Um, and so I think there's, there's opportunities, one, to, to take stuff out that doesn't need to be in there. And then two, to be in a much more conversational tone, And, and, you know, infuse some of that storytelling of, you know, you will be our next machine operator. uh, And this job is very important because, you know, X, Y, Z, and here's how you fit into the broader, you know, company ecosystem and, and where this job is important in that production line.
3: I mean, I'm fascinated by listening to both the need for companies. To tell better stories and i think it's wonderful that you're helping them do that because i think that's a big struggle that people have They're like i don't know why i can't get anybody well
0: question to you real quick though when, when it comes to job descriptions and storytelling and i mean this is the base data point that is used by all of these systems that are out there to match candidates to be able to distribute and target candidates right so can you talk a little bit about your experience with job descriptions and, and how important that is.
3: I mean, I certainly can say the job description is your ad, right? People are trying to identify, is this for me or not? Do I qualify for this or not? Um, I think one of the biggest places that companies go wrong is even in the title. Um, I remember the first time I came across a title, I'm like, what is a kidder? I had no idea what a kidder was. And Mm -hmm. I was like, who is searching for a kidder?
1: Kitter, Like K-I-T-T-E-R?
3: K-I-T-T-E-R. That was the job title. And I was like, I have never heard of this before. And they're like, oh, it's common in manufacturing. And I was like, do you think that people know that generally?
0: A kidder might. That's a a good question. Yeah.
3: Uh, Do you get that often, Patrick? Like titles that
2: are very strange? Give me a few. I want to hear some of the fun ones. Uh, Yeah, the team was just talking about a good one. It was it was basically a forklift operator, but it had it, it might as well have said NASCAR driver or something crazy. It was just like they, they were trying to get so creative on it. That's one of the things we have to coach our clients on. It's like, you know, you're actually you think this is going to stand out, but it actually is just going to hurt you in terms of, you know, people understanding what it is and also it being distributed and and shown to the right people searching for for, you know, what it truly is. And so a lot of a lot of times we have to kind of help help our clients normalize uh, some of those uh, more creative job titles where they where they think that is going to, you know, be the difference maker and in, in getting more applicants. Don't overthink it.
3: Yeah, the job title being one. But, you know, I'm actually really interested in the matching. The, you know, if you try to keep the job description interesting and tell a story, how can you still make sure it's got those those things that, you know, we're looking for anybody with a heartbeat, <laughs> like that really helps you identify who's the right fit for the talent. Like that's, those are the, the hit points that you want to make sure are different from one job description to the next. To help you find really the right person that you're looking for, than just anybody with a heartbeat. Any tips on that?
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know. For us, we found a lot of success uh, with our platform using the pre-screening questions. So once uh, we, you know, match a match a candidate, they pass kind of the resume and skills matching algorithm. Um, we then actually send customized. Uh, screening questions that are that our client actually writes and th- those are actually sometimes even more valuable than than the resume and skill matching because we can ask specifically hey have you worked on, this type of machine before have you worked you know if you're hiring in food production do you have experience in food production or uh, you know or is it just other manufacturing and so for certain clients they they're able to kind of um, have an extra layer of weeding out who really m- makes sense for uh, for this job and and makes sense to actually spend the time interviewing
1: I think you mentioned uh, robotics earlier uh in, in the same interview with the, the trucking organization they talked about how young people don't want to get into a profession where that that they think is going to be roboticized, uh, you know, five to 10 years down the road. In this case, it was self-driving trucks. Certainly, we hear about robotics and automation um, and all the manufacturing uh, skills. Do you find that companies, like what tips would you give companies looking to combat that narrative are associations in manufacturing looking to combat that? Or do you think it's a missed opportunity at the moment?
2: And I, I'm remembering somebody mentioned that same stat at, at one of the keynotes at Unleash uh, might have been Peter's. But, uh, you know, we basically we basically said, oh, we're, we're not going to need truckers. Right. Yep. <laughs> now we have a crisis. Um, <laughs> shocker. So I, I. Yeah. Shocker. Um, so I, I do think it. It. It happens at the highest level. Partnering with the National Association of Manufacturers, I think their newest stat is we have, between now and 2030, we have 4 million jobs to fill. And so getting that message out there and really hammering that home and being able to tell the story around that of, you know, there are a lot of jobs that become careers uh, available to you. And, um, you know, they're not being automated away. And, And so then the next layer of that is actually showcasing the new jobs alongside the, the automation and the robots and the cool uh, new tech that, it, that you're able to, uh, to leverage uh, in that production, I think, is the, is the next layer to that.
1: And by the way, there's no way a robot's getting into my house to fix my plumbing. <laughs> exactly. <It, it>, Storytelling-wise, <laughs> I couldn't let you go without this. You apparently made a shoe or designed a shoe for LeBron James. What's up with that? What? Uh, So I
2: like to I like to preface this story by just saying this is the the best two hundred dollars I ever spent on on marketing. Uh, But uh, way, way back in the day, it'll be 10 years next January. We had a promotion. Uh, I was working for an agency here in Minneapolis and uh, Carmex Lip Balm was one of our clients. We found out (laughs) that LeBron used Carmex before every game. And so he would go over to the corner and his trainer right after the introductions, his trainer would have his mouth guard in one hand and his Carmex in the other. He'd pop his mouth guard in, put some Carmex on and he'd go do his big powder toss uh, by the, uh, by the scores table. Uh-huh. And so we reached out to him, ended up uh, being the very first sponsor of LeBronJames.com. James.com. Um, did a deal with Maverick Carter, who's now his general manager and partner in all of his uh, entertainment ventures. Uh-huh. And, uh, Longer story short, we ran a contest, and this guy uh, won the contest, got to come down to Miami, win a grand prize trip, uh, all expenses paid, and he got to take a half-court shot. And if he won, he won $75,000, and we were donating $75,000 to LeBron James's Family Foundation, which at that time, most of it went to the Boys and Girls Club of America. Uh So, a guy comes down, actually hits the shot, he threw up a hook (laughs) shot from half-court, it goes in... He's wearing a bright yellow Carmex sweatshirt, and uh, LeBron actually ran out and tackled him to celebrate. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> goes viral number one play in Sports Center to this day. It's the number one or two video all time on the NBA's YouTube channel. You can go find it. And uh, but as part of that day, I designed a pair of LeBron's personal sneakers on NikeID.com in bright yellow with huh. a white bottom and a red swoosh, just like a Carmex jar would would look. <laughs> <laughs> and I had them put in his locker uh, through through one of my contacts at the Miami Heat. Never yeah. thought I'd see them again. And then a month later, uh, LeBron decided to break them out all on his own accord, uh, actually against his Nike, you know, colorway schedule, so uh-huh. to speak. So it was a Sunday morning, noon game, Madison Square Garden against the Knicks right in the middle of their 27 game win streak. And we got about $4 million worth of
1: exposure on uh, national TV. <laughs> Carmax Nikes. The Carmax Nikes.
0: This is awesome. Patrick, dude, thanks for joining us. Love the stories.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Dude, love to hear more about you. Not to mention, if somebody wants to actually reach out to you or find out more about Factory Fix, where should they go?
2: Uh, at Patrick H on Twitter and, uh, Patrick Hodgson on LinkedIn, uh, pretty active on both. So hit me up on, uh, either spots and we'll get
1: connected. Dig it, man. Chad, Julie, another one in the can. Yes. We out.
2: We
4: out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad, the cheese. Brilliant. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology, but most of all, they talk about nothing.